Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and I hope everybody has gotten that nasty taste out of their mouth from the very disappointing and lackluster Super Wild Card Weekend that fell very flat. The only two games that were competitive were games where the officials had an outside influence on the outcome. Of course, I'm talking about the Las Vegas Raiders and the Bengals and the Cowboys and the 49ers. Today... Palette cleanser time. We're going to talk a little bit of NHL, and today's aptly titled episode, Justice for the NHL's Old Southeast Division, is going to focus in on three teams that are proving to be the gauntlet of opposition, typically for out-of-conference, out-of-division teams that only play each of these teams on the road once per season. They play them all in one swing of games. Of course, I am talking about the Carolina Hurricanes, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Florida Panthers, who are firmly entrenched amongst the five or six best teams in the entire NHL. Today's episode will focus on those three teams. But before I get to today's episode, I do have to remind everyone, number one, keep listening. That That's number one. Keep listening to the episode. Go back and get, if you get a chance, and you haven't had a chance yet, to listen to either yesterday's episode, the recap of the very boring Monday night football game that I found a way to have some interesting takeaways on, or Monday's super blown out recap of the previous five games from over the weekend. We're trying to do intelligent sports discussion here in a way that isn't just cookie cutter non cookie cutter or hot take nonsense. I believe in this idea, and I am working hard on it for that very reason. Number two, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, all your major podcasting platforms. This show is available there. Number three, if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review. Spotify requires you to listen to a few episodes before you're able to leave a review. So if you use Spotify, listen to a few episodes, leave me a review, five stars, very nice. Apple Podcasts, go to the show's page, scroll down past our recent episodes, There are five clear stars at the bottom. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Those help me out immensely as a content creator. Leaving reviews is free. It doesn't take a lot of time, and it's an easy way to show your support without having to pay anything, which is really nice for content creators. Please leave reviews to every podcast you listen to, not just this one. So, it's kind of ironic that this swing is now such a gauntlet because for much of the first half of the 20th century, 21st century, excuse me, 20th, 21st century, the Southeast Division was a cupcake. It was the Washington Capitals and everybody else in their punching bag of a division. There were some weird outlier years. There was the year the Panthers went to the cup final back in the 90s. There was the year the Hurricanes won the cup. Atlanta won that division one time. They lost to the Rangers in the first round, of course. That was a sweep. That was the last time the Rangers swept an opponent in the postseason. That's how long ago that was. But more or less, that division had a hard time. Originally constituted, it was Carolina, Washington, Tampa Bay, and Florida. And then once the Thrashers came around in 98, the Thrashers were added to that division. But this division gave credence to that uppity attitude that some people in Canada and certain parts of the United States have about hockey not being a southern sport, that the NHL is wasting its time trying to build out in these markets where hockey isn't traditionally watched or played. And it took quite a while to develop these markets. They are still building. The Panthers still do not draw particularly well, even though they are one of the 
three best teams in the entire league. Carolina has carved itself out a nice niche in their space. They have a very vocal online presence. They've cultivated an engaging fan base online in a way that is very rare in the NHL because the NHL skews so old and so white in its demographics. And typically speaking, the people you find online don't fit that description. So for Carolina to build such a foothold, it's impressive. Washington is no longer in that divisional alignment. They are in the Metro, not the Atlantic, like the other teams we're talking about here. And Tampa Bay has won the last two Stanley Cups consecutively, and they had won the Stanley Cup in 2004. Tampa Bay was the most established of this group coming into the last few years before they won the Stanley Cup. And, of course, winning two Cups in two years will give you quite a bit of credibility and That is your table setter. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. We'll talk about what makes these three teams so effective. And if there's anything the other teams around the league can crib from them. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. And with that, we will get on into it. We will start with the team I've enjoyed watching the most this year. That would be the Florida Panthers, who have very rapidly become a legitimate contender with just a handful of roster tweaks, the emergence of some secondary players, the elevation of players who've been there a long time, like Alexander Barkov, who is one of the 10 best players in the entire sport. They've gotten really strong production from Aaron Ekblad and Mackenzie Wieger on the back end. Sergei Bobrovsky is having a resurgence season, which I kind of wrote off the possibility of at this point. And it was one of the reasons I was skeptical of the Panthers coming into this season. I, to some degree, just assumed he was kind of done as, as a high-level goaltender in the league. He's not in the top five anymore. His analytics don't support that. But he's still playing above average. Ten goals saved above expected at this point in the season is nothing to sneeze at. Spencer Knight, their U.S. national team development program child, they drafted in the first round a couple years back, has had a relatively tough go of it this year. Of course, Chris Drieger is in Seattle now. Drieger was their goaltender for the majority of last season. He stole that job from Bobrovsky, even though Bob makes upwards of $10 million a year. And that's the thing that makes Florida so interesting. They haven't constructed a roster in a way that you would consider a fundamental. You wouldn't, like, use it to teach a class on roster construction. Uh, that's the joke that film bros always have about The Departed, is that it's a horribly structured movie. And if anyone tried to write that movie for a film class, they would have failed because it doesn't make sense. But that's kind of what the Panthers are. They have a few really expensive building blocks. They've got a few high-end pieces in that mix who are expensive. They've got a few nice secondary contributors. Of course, Jumbo Joe is lurking around there in that bottom six. They've had some lumps. They had the Gallant run. They had a weird situation they had to deal with where you absolutely had to dismiss Joe Joe Quinville as your head coach because he lied on more than one occasion about his knowledge about what happened to Kyle Beach in Chicago in 2010. Absolutely untenable, inexcusable. And this isn't even about hockey. This is, as a human, I cannot let this person be in charge of my team. It's that simple. No, There's no other considerations to have here. That's not acceptable from your leadership. And the fact the Panthers have played so well with an interim head coach is remarkable. I, I got to give credit where credit is due. At that point in the season, 
when the Panthers had to dismiss Quinville, a lot of people were ready to say, maybe this team kind of falls off without Quinville there. But right now, with Andrew Brunette calling the shots, running that bench, the talent is working. There is enough talent on this team that's scary. And they are one of the best teams in the entire sport from an underlying metric standpoint. They have the puck a lot more than their opponent. They play high-end defense. They transition from defense to offense very quickly. They play at a breakneck pace. They create a lot of scoring opportunities off of the rush, which can run into difficulties when it comes to the playoffs where there's a little bit less room to operate and officials are more lenient in what they will allow to be played in terms of defense. But for right now, Florida is skating a lot of teams out of the rink. I I remember when the Rangers played the Panthers about, I'd say, I think it was about a month ago now. It was mid-December. It looked like Florida was playing in fast forward and the Rangers just couldn't catch up to them. And the Rangers aren't a v- extremely fast team, but they're not slow. And the fact that Florida looked so much faster than them is a testament to their team speed. And one of the ways you know this offense is legitimately good is the fact how often they gain the offensive zone. And every single time down almost, they're getting at least two looks at the net. That's something that shows a higher level of understanding in what your offense is supposed to look like in hockey at the NHL level. You want to get into that offensive zone, and you want two or three scoring chances at the net every single time down. Obviously, that's not going to happen. You have to change lines. You're going to have miscommunications, turnovers. Hockey is the most fluid sport for a reason. The puck changes possession the most often of possession in any sport for a reason so it's un it's not realistic to expect two or three chances down every single time but florida's doing a great job of getting two or three chances majority of the time a good amount of the time and they're able to get all of those chances because they're gaining the zone with control they gain the offensive zone with control of the puck the second most of any team in the entire league when you control the puck into the offensive zone you give your guys time to set up to get into your structure and then you can start cycling the puck on the defense you can tire them out once you've gained that territory that space in the offensive zone it's a lot easier for you to do things as an offense when you're set up you don't have to worry about getting another puck recovery that's one of the advantages of a rush-based offense Of course, like I said, rush-based offenses do run into trouble in the postseason because it's harder to win those puck battles. You're not getting as favorable game situations for the type of hockey you like to play off of the rush. We've seen rush-based teams like Colorado, like Vegas, like Toronto run into a problem of this in the postseason where when they actually have to go and dump the puck into the zone, win the puck in the corner, get it back out, and then set up, they have a harder time generating offense. So... Florida's ability to gain the zone pretty much whenever they want from the neutral zone, that is a sign of a quality offense that's going to be able to dictate the game against most opponents. And they're so fast, and they get to offense so fast. You have agile defensemen who are capable of skating the puck out of danger, moving the puck out of danger. At one point, I was ready to consider Aaron Ekblad a genuine bust. He did not have as high-end an upside as you would want from a defenseman you're selecting number one overall, which Aaron Ekblad was, as crazy as that sounds. It's a very long time ago now, but... He's playing like it. Mackenzie Weger has been very good on that back end for the Panthers. They 
constitute a very strong defensive pair. And that back end is strong. When we think about it, the, the name brand guys that were there the last few years aren't there anymore. Keith Yandel, of course, isn't there anymore. They brought in Radko Gudis, which is kind of weird, but he's worked out. Of course, they traded for Brandon Montour from the Sabres, who's not ever going to be what his tools are. Montour is one of the more interesting players where when you look at all of his traits, you think he should be a high-end player at this level. But Florida's been able to extract a lot of value out of him. It didn't cost them a ton. Florida is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender in my mind right now. Of course, this is subject to change. That goaltending situation is very fickle. We have seen teams with this kind of identity get into the postseason and instantly struggle against teams with more high-end talent. Case in point, last year, the Battle of Florida in the first round, Tampa Bay was scoring five and six goals every single game in that series because Florida could just not get any consistent goaltending. And that's one of the big things that makes handicapping the NHL postseason so difficult is you just don't know how the goalies are going to play. And there's not really a ton of rhyme or reason to how goalies play in the postseason. Uh, you think the better the environment in front of them, the more likely it is that they'll have success. But you have those stinker goals, man. And then the goalie's in their own head and you got to change goalies. And that's just where you don't want to be in a playoff series. Moving along here. We got to talk about Tampa Bay, the reigning, defending, undisputed, two-time Stanley Cup champions. They lost their entire third line. The Rangers graciously overpaid to take away Barkley Goudreau. Yanni Gord is in Seattle, and the Calgary Flames signed Blake Coleman in free agency. And it hasn't really affected Tampa. They are still amongst the league's best in terms of underlying numbers. They create more chances. They create more dangerous chances. They've got one of the three, four best goalies in the entire sport. Victor Hedman is having a really nice bounce-back season. A lot of people know he was playing hurt down the stretch last year into the postseason through the entire playoffs, and that's why he didn't really look like himself. That's why there was so much angst over the possibility of him winning a Norris purely on reputation when either Kale McCarr or... Um, Adam Fox or um, Charlie McAvoy. You heard me say um a few times there. I hate doing that. But yeah, McAvoy, Fox, and Kale McCarr all had very strong seasons last year. But the Boomers were very convinced that Victor Hedman deserved it for some reason until later in that run towards the playoffs where a lot of people were identifying, well, this guy doesn't look right, blah, blah, blah. Fox won the Norris. Hedman is having a genuine bounce back season where he could be a Norris finalist. He probably should be based on how he's played in the first half. He has played so well, Victor Hedman, that it's overshadowing that Mikhail Sergachev and Ryan McDonough both are producing less than their usual underlying results. And in McDonough's case, he's getting difficult matchups. He's a three. He's going to be on that shutdown defensive pair that's going to get the best matchups from the other team's offense. And he tasked with shutting them down. But... That just goes to show how good Victor Hedman has been. I got to say, uh, Andre Vasilevsky's amazing. He's having a very good year. He's not having as good a year as he was last year. Last year, he was just outrageously good. But right now, he's been fine. He's been good enough. Ten goals saved above expected. Very, very solid. They are 14th in zone entries per game. So not as elite as Florida in terms of created getting to offense they have so much experience they have a great coach in john cooper 
they're a very good team, man. I, I know they lost an entire third line and they had to retool their fourth line, but they're fine with Ross Colton and Pat Maroon and Corey Perry and Pierre Edward Bellamar. They've got enough depth in that bottom six, and then they've got Joe. They've got Matthew Joseph in there, who's been teetering around the tertiary of the NHL for a few years now, bouncing back and forth between their AHL program, the Syracuse Crunch, and the league. And that just goes to show you how good of a ba- uh, basketball. I'm watching basketball as I'm recording, watching Baylor West Virginia before hockey starts. But that just goes to show you how good of a hockey factory the Tampa Bay Lightning have in the AHL. Because everybody they promote from Syracuse to the league looks perfectly confident in a bottom six role right out of the gate. I've watched the Rangers try uh, God knows how many kids over the years in that bottom six and just have no idea what to do at the NHL level. They look slow. They look confused. Tampa Bay calls people up and they look great. Matthew Joseph got in, I think, three playoff games last year, and I think he scored a goal in one of them because he was right there. He was hugging, He was humming. He looked like an NHL player, and that goes to show you how much infrastructure matters. you got to be able to graduate those bottom six guys from the AHL to the league because that's where you, spe- that's where you get into problems with roster control. In a, in a sport like the NHL where the salary cap does not go up that often – and in the case of the pandemic, hasn't gone up. At, it's gone up a million dollars over the last two years. Those are where you run out of money. Overpaying those bottom six guys who don't produce offense is where you run into building block trouble. You can afford to spend $9 million on Braden Point, $10 million on Nikita Kucherov, $9 million on Vasilevsky, $10, $9-10 million on Stamkos. That's fine. You still got to be able to fill out the rest of your lineup. And you fill out the rest of your lineup with those AHL graduates... That saves you money. That makes it a whole lot easier to be an effective roster for an extended period of time if you don't have to go and overpay for a Barkley Goudreau like the Rangers. If you don't have to go out and overpay for some of the bottom six forwards like the Oilers have over the years. The bottom six should be your AHL graduates. You should be able to pluck two or three guys from your AHL team over the course of a two-year window and graduate them to your NHL bottom six with regularity until they stick well enough that you say, okay, these guys are officially graduates now. We don't got to send them back down to the farm. They're ready. And Tampa Bay has done a masterful job of doing that over the last few years. And it goes to show because they replaced one of the best lines in hockey last year. That Goudreau-Gord-Coleman line had 58% of the expected goal share It just smothering defensively, not giving any room, creating offense because they had the puck so often. Their defense, of course, they are not as deep as they once were. These guys do have miles on them. That is something to consider when you're thinking about the big picture, about when we get to April and June and Stanley Cup time. These guys do have a lot of miles on them from being in the postseason two years, being making Stanley Cup final runs two years in a row, and being in the postseason pretty much every single year since 2015, aside from that one year where Ben Bishop was hurt a majority of the year, they missed out on the postseason. But Tampa Bay is firmly amongst this group, and that's been with Nikita Kucherov missing a decent amount of time with another lower body injury, with Steven Stamkos kind of transitioning into the next stage of his career as more of a secondary playmaking type as opposed to a pure sniper like he was earlier in his career. And 
you know Tampa Bay is going to make some moves. This is the organization that does the trade deadline better than anybody. They identify the talent they need, and they go out and get it. And that's the thing I want people to understand when they're listening. They identified talent they need. They went out and they got Blake Coleman. They went out and got Barkley Goudreau. Just because it worked for Tampa Bay does not mean it will work for you. You are not, you, the team you are a fan of, unless you are a Lightning fan, is not the Tampa Bay Lightning. You should not go and add some of a Stanley Cup championship team just because they won a Stanley Cup there. How active were they in making that happen? It's the question I have, and it's why I'm so skeptical of all the moves the Rangers made. Yeah, they went in and brought some guys with playoff experience. They brought in guys who had supporting roles. It would be like casting a movie. It'd be, okay, perfect example. It'd be like if you wanted to cast an action movie and you made Tom Sizemore the lead based off his role in Saving Private Ryan. Like, yeah, he had a juicy part. He had some important moments. You can't build an entire movie around Tom Sizemore in, in the year 2022. That That's kind of what the Rangers, and to a lesser extent what Calgary did with Blake Coleman, that's what they've done here. They've taken somebody in a supporting role with a in a large ensemble cast and tried to make them the lead. Good luck with that. I wish you the best of luck getting the third piece on an elite checking line being the driving force on your own checking line. That is just not how it works. And it's why talent evaluation is so difficult, because people are delusional. Okay, I've bitched about the Rangers enough on an episode that's not about the Rangers. Just wrapping up thoughts on Tampa Bay. They've got that next gear, and that that is what should scare people. Once Kucherov gets into a rhythm again, and you can distribute your talent a little bit better amongst the top six, and you still have Palat, you still have Pat Maroon on that fourth line with Corey Perry. That's a really strong group for a fourth line. You've got Kalorn there still. They were able to get out of from under Tyler Johnson's contract, free up that money to extend Braden Point. That team, man, I... There were very few teams, I say, I don't want to see in the NHL because so much of it is high variance. I don't want to see Tampa. I, if I'm a fan of Carolina, Florida, Colorado, Toronto, I will say, granted, they have to get past the first round to get there first, Las Vegas, some of the other teams who think they have legitimate cup aspirations. You don't want to see Tampa in the playoffs because when Vasilevsky's in that zone, you're just not going to beat him. Just flat out, you are not going to beat him. Okay, moving along here. Last team I want to talk about is the Carolina Hurricanes, who I spent a good portion of my offseason complaining about. Letting Alexander Nedeljkovic leave because they didn't want to pay him. Trading him to Detroit for a couple of day two picks. Trying to hedge fund their way to a Stanley Cup. And I refer to it as hedge funding because... That's what this kind of strategy is. They are trying to cut costs while still being competitive. It is what any hedge fund, capital company, uh, you know, like Axe Capital, if you watch Billions, that type of thing. That's how a company that buys another company, in this case a hockey team, or what a lot of those money managing companies have done to newspapers, they got the they got the expensive pieces, they hire cheaper pieces to fill in that rate and they keep the profits they keep the difference in the two salaries which is what tom dundon did as own as owner of the hurricanes they let dougie hamilton leave in free agency they lowballed him in free agency they brought in tony d'angelo to be their walmart dougie hamilton 
They let Nedeljkovic leave. They signed Freddie Anderson to be their replacement for Nedeljkovic. Freddie Anderson is held up nicely. He's having a really nice season so far. 18 goals saved above expected, looking at evolving wilds charts, which is better than both Vasilevsky and Bobrovsky right now. That does help them a lot. The way Carolina plays is complicated to explain because it it juices the statistical models that are available to the public. Carolina's offense is oriented around point shots and deflections. They want to get all of those rebounds. They want to get those second-chance scoring opportunities, the off-of-deflections. Those are inherently more valuable chances because they're coming closer to the net. But a lot of them aren't your traditional what you would think of. It's a lot of broom handling the puck around the net and trying to jam it in past the goalie. And it's why Carolina's had such strong underlying numbers for the last couple of years under Rod Bridmore. They create, they get the puck to the net a lot. And that gives them good expected goals numbers. If they're constantly jamming the puck at the net from three feet away, even if it's not a full shot in terms of being able to extend and follow through, they're still jamming the puck at the goalie's pad at the net mouth. And that's why they always have such strong expected goals numbers. And I thought the Dougie Hamilton absence would hurt them a little bit more just because of how good Dougie is in transition and how bad D'Angelo is in transition defensively. Yeah, I got to say defensively because Tony D'Angelo is a very good offensive defenseman in that regard. He's really strong at getting the puck from defense to offense. It's one of the reasons the Rangers have dramatically slowed down how they play because Tony D'Angelo is not there to be a driver on offense. He's not carrying the puck through the zone. He's not whipping the puck through the neutral zone to a waiting forward. He's able to do that in Carolina. And Carolina has ambitiously tried to build a team similar to the way the Predators were built when they went to the Cup Final a couple years ago, where they have six defensemen who all are pretty good. Now, individually, some of these guys have their holes. Brett Pesci, Jacob Slavin, unassailable. This is a great, great two guys. There's also Ethan Bear. There's Brady Shea, there's Tony D'Angelo, there's Ian Cole. They've had a few other guys float in here and there. Every team's had to go down to their AHL team because of COVID and the way the taxi squad not getting instituted until around Christmas was a dumb decision. But that is a pretty good group of six defensemen. D'Angelo has his flaws on defense, as does Brady Shea, as does Ethan Bear, as does Ian Cole. But they're able to protect them. They've put Slavin in a situation where he's able to carry a pair and Brett Pesci in a situation where he's able to carry a pair. And I've seen good things from when I've watched Carolina. I love, love, love watching Carolina. They are very entertaining. Their games turn into track meets often because they're not the best in defensive transition because of guys like D'Angelo. Ethan Bear is a little bit slow. He's a little bit on the bigger side. He's not as good in transition, even though he's still a quality guy. But I love watching the interlude play between Tavo Teravainen and Sebastian Ajo. I love watching Marty Natchez play. He's one of the more exciting players who's a little bit under the radar, somebody I would consider underrated by the hockey people, hockey fandom at large just because he plays on Carolina and he hasn't put up any gaudy stat totals yet. But he is very fun to watch with the puck on his stick because he skates like a bat out of hell. Carolina has done a really nice job of developing their pieces. Svechnikov is awesome to watch just flat out one of the most exciting young players in the sport and that's the word i would use to describe all three of these teams they are exciting they play fast and they're easy to watch 
you can see why they are good just by looking at them. You don't need to go and pour over the charts and the statistics like I do to see that these three teams are good. The eye test supports that these teams are strong in every facet of the game. It is not the same kind of way that they are just winning because of their high-end talent. These teams are playing extremely well, winning, and being rewarded for it. These three teams all could win the Stanley Cup, and I would not be surprised. I've picked Carolina to win the Stanley Cup last year. Uh, that didn't go too well for me. They, they did beat Nashville, but when it came time, and that is a real problem, the way they play, relying on point shots and deflections so much. It's really hard to score those goals when the other team is so good defensively like last year's Tampa team was. They just had great defensemen. Their forwards contributed well on defense, especially that third line. To a lesser extent, the fourth line. But that third line last year with Coleman, Gordon, Goudreau was just insane defensively. They always had the puck. And even if you had the puck on them, they weren't going to give up a good scoring chance. Okay, that's a nice little appetizer. Nice dipping the beak into the hockey world for the week. We'll probably do some NBA tomorrow because I haven't done basketball on the show since God knows when, since probably close to the finals last year when the Heat, the Heat, when the Bucks won, but we'll do some NBA tomorrow. I'll, I'll brush up. I'll get ready. We'll do some NBA. Thursday, Friday, NFC, AFC. I hope everybody's ready to talk about the divisional round because we got some fucking good matchups on paper and it's going to be a lot of fun. I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show.